Amen. All right, well, we're there in Jeremiah chapter number 6. And on Sunday mornings, we've been going through a series on the subject of stewarding life. If you've been with us, this is actually now the eighth week uh, in this series on stewarding life. And the word stewarding or stewardship uh, is a reference to management. We have been learning about how God has blessed us with certain resources that we are to manage for His glory. We are not the owners, but we are the managers of the resources that He has given us. And we're not just talking about money. In this parable, we've, in this parable, in this series, we've uh, dealt with some parables on stewardship, and we'll deal with a couple of more before we're done. But we've talked about things like the stewardship of time. Uh, we had a sermon on the stewardship of our health. We talked about the stewardship of relationships, uh, stewardship of finances. Last week, we talked about the stewardship of our testimony and the fact that you have a testimony, you have influence in your life, and we must steward that properly for the glory of God. This morning, I want to deal with the subject of stewarding our thoughts, stewarding our thoughts. And you may not Consider your thoughts or, you know, think about your thoughts, but our thoughts play a big role in our lives. There's a lot of uh, issues that people deal with in, um, in life that have to do and that are started in their thoughts. We're talking about things like anxiety, depression, fear, lust, covetousness, all of these things uh, begin in your mind and with your thoughts. And you know, sometimes as fundamentalists, we might think little of these things and say, oh, well, there's no such thing as depression. But you know, as you read the Bible, you, you realize that there was great men of God, like Moses, who got to the place where he said, Lord, just kill me, you know, like Elijah, who got to the place where he said, Lord, just take my life, you know, where we deal uh, with these struggles and these, uh, these issues of our thoughts and of our lives. And this morning, I want to speak to you on the stewardship of our thoughts, and I want to uh, show you several things. For those of you that like to take notes, and I'd encourage you to take notes, if you need somewhere to take notes, on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to write down some notes. But if you'd like to write down these statements, number one, I'd like to begin by looking at the significance of our thought life. The significance of our thought life. And you might ask yourself and say, well, why does it matter, you know, what I think? Why do I have to steward and manage my thoughts for the glory of God? But here's what you need to understand. Our thoughts are significant because our thoughts will eventually bear fruit in our lives. Our thoughts are significant because of the fact that our thoughts will eventually bear fruit. They will eventually produce. They will eventually result in certain things in our lives. Now, we read Jeremiah chapter 6, and Jeremiah chapter 6 has a lot of awesome verses in it. A lot of great preaching can be done out of Jeremiah chapter 6. But I actually want you to just bring your attention to one verse that maybe you haven't noticed before. But in Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse number 19, I want you to notice what the Bible says about our thoughts. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 19. The Bible says this, Hear, O earth, Behold, notice what the Bible says, I will bring evil. This is God speaking to the children of Israel. He says, I will bring evil upon this people. Notice what he says, even, he's referring back to the evil that he's going to bring. He said, I'm going to bring evil upon this, uh, this people. Even, notice what he says, the fruit of their thoughts. He says, you know, the evil that I'm going to bring upon this people is actually just a production. It's actually just a result. It actually is just the fruit that came as a result of their thoughts or of their thought life. Because they have not hearkened unto my words, nor to my law, but rejected it. 
And you need to understand that our thoughts are important. Our thought life is important because of the fact that it will produce fruit in our lives. Now, you're there in Jeremiah. Uh, go backwards with me into the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 65. You're just one book before Jeremiah. You got Isaiah 65. And here's what you need to understand. The significance of our thought life is that it will bear fruit. It will produce. It will actually, our lives will be a result of what we think. And here's what you need to understand. You are or you soon will be what you think. You are or you soon will be what you think about. And here's what I mean by that. Sinful people are sinful because their thoughts are sinful. Sinful people, people who live in sin, people who live in the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, they live like that because they think like that. Are you there in Isaiah 65? Look at verse 2. Isaiah 65 and verse 2. Notice what the Bible says. I have spread out my hands all day unto a rebellious people. Notice these are rebellious people, sinful people. Notice what the Bible says. Which walketh in a way that is not good. These rebellious people walk in a way that is not good. Why? Why do they walk in a way that, that is not good? Notice what it says. They walk in a way that is not good. Notice what the Bible says. They are walking. Notice what it says. After their own thoughts. See, here's what you need to understand. Your thoughts will eventually result in actions. The way you think and the things you think about will eventually result in the things you do and in the way you walk. And here God tells us about these rebellious people that they walked in the way that was not good after their own thoughts. They were walking after their own not good thoughts. Go to Isaiah 59. Look at verse 7. You're there in Isaiah. Go to chapter 59 and verse 7. Just to flip a few pages back. Isaiah 59, 7. Notice what the Bible says. Isaiah 59, 7. Isaiah 59 and verse 7 says this. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Notice what it says. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. Once you notice that the Bible, when it describes for us people that are not doing well in life, that they are running to evil, they are running to do things that are bad, that they, they run, the Bible says they make haste to shed innocent blood. They do those things. Look, you do those things because their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. And here's what you need to understand. Nobody wakes up one day and just robs a bank. Nobody just wakes up. You know, you find yourself in prison. What happened? I robbed a bank. How, how'd that happen? Well, you know, I, you know I, I woke up, I brushed my teeth, I got dressed, I got in the car. Next thing I know, I'm holding up a bank. That doesn't happen. You know, you say, why, why do people rob banks? Because they first start thinking about robbing a bank. They start allowing thoughts in their mind to come in and say, man, it'd be nice if I had some extra money and how easy it would be and look how much money is in that bank. How easy it would be and I think I might be able to get away. And they entertain that thought long enough and those thoughts turn into plans and they eventually do it. And you say, well, Pastor, man, that's silly. Nobody here is going to rob me. Okay, well, let me explain something to you. Nobody commits adultery in their marriage without first thinking about it. You understand what I just said? No, nobody becomes a drunkard or a drug addict. It, no major sin in your life happens without you first thinking about it and considering it and planning it. And here's what you need to understand. Your thoughts will eventually bear fruit in your life. You will be, you are, or you will be what you think about. 
And the Bible tells us that sinful people are sinful because their thoughts are sinful. Go to Romans chapter number 8. In the New Testament, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter number 8. Look at verse number 5. Romans chapter 8 and verse 5. There is a significance to your thought life because what you think about will eventually be result, it it will produce something in your life. There will be a result in your life. There will be fruit in your life. Romans chapter 8 and verse 5. Romans chapter 8, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Notice what the Bible says. For they that are after the flesh, it's referring to people who walk in the flesh, who are uh, led by the flesh, who are doing the things that the flesh wants them to do, following the lust of the flesh. Notice what it says. For they that are after the flesh, notice what the Bible says, do mind the things of the flesh. That phrase, do mind, means that's what's on their mind. That's what they think about. They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. What is the Bible teaching us here? It's teaching us that sinful people are sinful because their thoughts are sinful. And the contrast to that is this. Righteous people are righteous because their thoughts are right. Notice what he says. Romans 8, 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. Notice, but they that are after the Spirit, those who walk in the Spirit, those who try to fulfill righteousness and do the things that God would have them to do, but they that are after the Spirit, notice what it says, the things, talking about they do mind the things of the Spirit. See, what you think about and what your thoughts are will eventually produce fruit. In your life. Go to Proverbs chapter number 12. Proverbs chapter 12. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, you will more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you have the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter number 12. Proverbs chapter number 12. See, the significance to your thought life is that it will produce, it will bear fruit in your life. Simple people are sinful because their thoughts are sinful. Righteous people are righteous because their thoughts are righteous. We're not talking about salvation right now. We're talking about the way you live your life. Obviously, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you become righteous in the sight of God because of the blood of Christ. We understand that. But we're talking about your pra- in a practical sense in your life. You will do right when you think right. And you will do wrong when you think wrong. Proverbs chapter 12, look at verse 5. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 5, the Bible says this, the thoughts, notice what it says, the thoughts of the righteous are right. The thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceit. And again, I just want to explain to you the significance. You might say, ah, my thought life, it doesn't matter. You know, nobody knows what I think. Nobody knows what goes on up here, you know. But here's what you need to understand. There is a significance to your thought life. And we need to learn to steward our thoughts and manage our thoughts for the glory of God. Why? Because your thoughts will eventually produce fruit in your life. Sinful people are sinful because their thoughts are sinful. And righteous people are righteous because their thoughts are Right. The thoughts of the righteous are right. Go with me to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, at the be- towards the beginning of the Old Testament, you've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. First of all, we saw the significance of our thought life. It's important to steward our thoughts properly because they will produce actions in our life. But secondly, I'd like you to notice what shakes our thought life. What shakes our thoughts? Because sometimes when we talk about these things like anxiety and depression and covetousness and lust and the sins of the mind and the sins of the heart, those things often happen because our minds and our thoughts 
are shaken. Deuteronomy 28 explains this, uh, and we can find this throughout the Bible, but I want you to notice that in Deuteronomy 28, it kind of explains it well. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 64, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter number 28, look at verse number 64, notice what the Bible says. And the Lord shall scatter thee among all people. Again, this is talking about the judgment of God. And the Lord shall scatter thee among all people, from the one end of the earth even unto the other. And there thou shalt serve other gods, which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, even wood and stone. Look at verse 65. And among these nations shalt thou find no ease. Notice what it says. Among these nations shalt thou find no ease, neither shall the sole of thy foot have rest. So the Bible says they found no ease, they had no rest. Notice the result, verse 65, but the Lord shall give thee there, notice, a trembling heart. Sometimes the word heart in the Bible is used as a synonym for your mind. You know, when it talks about a heart, it's not talking about the muscle that's in your uh, chest, but it's talking about your mind. Notice what he says, a trembling heart and failing of eyes, notice this, and sorrow of mind. He says, I can give you a trembling heart, and I can give you sorrow of mind. And here's what you need to understand. Our minds are fragile things. Our minds can be shaken up. Our minds, God, you know, the circumstances that come into our lives that God allows or that sin brings into our lives can give us a trembling heart and sorrow of mind, a trembling mind and and sorrow in our minds. And there are two major things, and there might be more things that we could talk about this morning, but there are two major things that the Bible tells us that shake our minds, that shake our thoughts. The first one is doubt. Doubt shakes our minds. You're there in Deuteronomy 28. Look at verse 66. He just got done talking about a trembling heart and sorrow of mind. And in verse 66, he says this. Deuteronomy 28, verse 66. And thy life shall hang, notice these words, in doubt before thee. Why did they have a trembling heart? Why did they have shaking of my, uh, a sorrow of mind? Here's why. Because their life, the Bible says, thy life shall hang in doubt. They got to a place in their lives where they had doubt. What does that mean? What does it mean to have doubt? Doubt is a feeling of uncertainty. Doubt is a lack of security. Doubt is when you, don't, you just don't know that things are going to work out. You're just not sure that things are going to happen and things are going to go the way that you need them to go. And the Bible tells us here that doubt in your life is something that will cause your mind to shake and your heart to tremble and bring you sorrow of mind and it will cause you to have stress and anxiety and these things. See, doubt shakes our mind. Keep your place there in Deuteronomy 28. We're going to come right back to it. But go with me to Luke chapter number 12. Luke chapter number 12. Let me give you an example of this, and I know we're, we're, gonna, we're looking at a lot of different passages this morning and going through a lot of uh, places, but I want you to notice how the Bible talks about this all throughout the Bible. Luke chapter 12 in the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 12, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke 12. What is one area that we often find a trembling heart and a sorrow of mind? For a lot of people and for a lot of adults, you'll, you'll find that in the area of finances. When you're just not sure, when there's doubt, when you're, not, you're, you're just not sure what the economy is going to do, 
And you're not sure if, if, if your job is going to last. And, and you just don't have a lot of job security. And, and you're just not sure that, uh, you know, this season of the business is going to go as well as the last season. Or you're afraid that this season of business will go as bad as the last season. And when there's doubt in your life financially, that oftentimes brings a shaking, a trembling heart. And sorrow of mind. And God speaks of this. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke of it in Luke chapter 12. And he spoke of it in several parts in the Gospels. But let me just show you one. Luke chapter 12 and verse 22. Notice what he says. The Bible says this. And he said unto his disciples, Luke chapter 12, verse 22. And he said unto his disciples, therefore I say unto you. Notice what he says. Take no thought. Now when he says take no thought there, he's talking about bad thoughts, worrying thoughts, evil thoughts. He says, take no thought for your life. What ye shall eat, neither for the body, what ye shall put on. He says, don't worry about, you know, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. Verse 23, the life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. And by the way, if you don't realize that, you need to realize there's more to life than the things we possess. There are more important things in life, like relationships, like God like the things that have eternal value. He says, for life is more than meat, and body is more than raiment. And we, and we can dissect this whole passage, and we're not going to take the time to do that this morning. Skip down to verse 29, just for sake of time. Look, notice what he says in Luke 12, 29. He says, hey, take no thought for your life. He says, don't worry about your life. Don't be overly concerned and, and, and worried about these things. Verse 29, and seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink. Notice what he says, neither be ye of, notice these words, doubtful mind. He says, neither be ye of doubtful mind. Why does he say that? Because doubt in our lives will cause us to have a trembling heart, to have sorrow of mind. It'll cause us to, to have, uh, when, when, when we don't know, it'll cause us to have these issues and these shakings in our minds and in our hearts. Why? Because look, the Bible says this, hope deferred maketh the heart sick. And when we're just not sure, we feel hopeless, we feel like there's no hope, we feel like it's not going to work out, we feel like it's not going to turn out, we feel like there's nothing we can do, we feel like it's just, it, it is what it is and it's never going to get better. Hope deferred maketh the heart, your mind, sick. Doubt shakes our mind. Doubt is a feeling of uncertainty. Doubt is a feeling of lacking security. And here's what you need to understand. Doubt brings stress. What stress? Stress is a state of mental or emotional strain or tension resulting from adverse or demanding circumstances. Let me read that again. Stress is a state of mental or emotional strain or tension resulting from adverse or demanding circumstances. And you know, years ago when we first started Verity Baptist Church, I've shared this with you guys before, but years ago when we started Verity Baptist Church, we started the church in our living room. Some of you were there for that when we were in our living room. And when we started the church, I worked a full-time job while 
pastoring the church and trying to get the church off the ground and trying to get it, you know, going and growing and all those things. And when I was working, you know, I had a growing family and I had a wife that uh, stayed home, obviously, like the Bible says she should. And she worked at home as a mother and as, uh, you know, and, and those things. And, and, and we had children and, and, and we were growing. And oftentimes I had to work 50, 60 hours a, a week in my secular job and then come home, you know, and, and do the church thing, you know. And a lot of, there was many times where I would get get up at four in the morning. You know, I have to be at work at six, but I get up at four in the morning just because it was the only time that I could write a sermon and uh, study for sermons and things like that. And there was a lot of uh, pressure uh, on my schedule at that time. And, you know, I didn't realize this at the time, but I would go around and I, I, and I want to say this to, to church people or anything like that, but, you know, speaking to my wife at home, I, I, I would say this a lot. I, I tell her, I'm just, I'm, I'm very stressed. I'm very stressed out. You know, and I didn't realize this, how much I was saying that. You know, I'm very stressed out. It actually became real apparent to me when I began to notice, and my wife and I would, would laugh about it, but I began to notice, you know, my son, my oldest son, who at the time was four years old, he began to make statements to my wife saying, Mommy, I am stressed out. <laughs> and, you know, there's nothing cuter than having a four-year-old say, Mommy, I am stressed out. And he didn't know what that meant, but you know what he heard? He just heard his father saying to his mother all the time, I'm stressed out. I'm stressed out. And he was going around saying, I'm stressed out. And I thought to myself, good night. I better, I better stop saying that, you know. I'm going to mess this kid up, you know. He's running around. I'm stressed out. You know, I just, mommy, I'm stressed, you know. And, and he didn't even know what that meant, but he heard me say it. And he heard me say it. Why? Because, look, stress is something that comes as a result of adverse or demanding circumstances. It's a real thing. It's a true thing. You know, sometimes when we just have doubt and we're just not sure, is this going to work out? And am I going to be able to maintain this? Am I going to be able to do this? And how long will I have to do this? And is this church ever going to grow? Is this church ever going to take off? Are we ever going to be able to, to slow down a, a, a little bit? And here's what you need to understand. Doubt will bring shake, will bring a shake in your heart. And it will bring sorrow of mind. And it will cause stress in your life. But there's a second thing. There's a second thing that will shake us to our core. Did you keep your place there in Deuteronomy 28? Not only will doubt shake our minds, but you need to understand this fear shakes our minds. Are you there in Deuteronomy 28? Look at verse 66 again. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 66. Notice what the Bible says. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 66. The Bible says this. Deuteronomy 28, 66. The Bible says, And thy life shall hang in doubt before thee. And thy life shall hang in doubt before thee. We've talked about that. Doubt will often shake us to our core. But notice the second thing. He says this, And thou shalt fear. You see that word there? Thou shalt fear day and night, and shall have no assurance, no security, no stability, no, you know, uh, uh, n- nothing convincing you that things will be fine, that things will work out. Thou shalt have no assurance of thy life. What, what comes as a result of not having assurance? Well, it comes because of doubt, and you know what it produces in your life? Fear. Fear. And when you get down to the root of it, and you can, you can lose your place there in Deuteronomy, go to, go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, in the New Testament, towards the end of the New Testament, you find all those T books. They're all clustered together. You got 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus. 2nd Timothy chapter 1, I'd like you to look at verse number 7. 2nd Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. Look, when we talk about these things like depression, anxiety, these, these, these problems in our minds are very real. The sorrow of mind, the trembling of heart. When we talk about these things, the, the, the underlying root is one word. 
fear. It's fear. It's we're afraid. And look, they're not, they're, that, that's a human nature. The Bible says we should fear nothing but the Lord, but it's human nature to have fear, to have doubt. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, notice what the Bible says. 2 Timothy 1, 7 says this, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Notice what he said. He didn't give us a spirit of fear. Here's what he did give us, but of power and of love and of, notice these words, a sound mind. See, when, you're, when fear grips your heart, your mind is no longer sound. When, he, when fear grips your heart, sometimes that's when we go down that road of having you know, sorrow of mind and a trembling heart and, and doubt and fear will grip us and it shakes our thought life. We saw, first of all, this morning, the significance of our thought life. And then we saw what shakes our thought life. But I'd like you to notice thirdly this morning, and this is where I'm going to spend the rest of my sermon and most of the sermon, is how do we steward our thought lives? So we understand that there's a significance to our thought lives. There's a significance because of the fact that our thoughts will eventually produce fruit. Our thoughts will eventually result actions in our lives. And, and if we think wrong, we will begin to walk wrong. And if we think wrong, we will begin to do wrong. And we understand that there are some things that shake us to our core. And they shake even our minds and thoughts. So then... The question is, how do you steward our, your thoughts? How do we steward and how do we manage our thoughts properly for the glory of God? I want to give you f- five steps this morning that will result in stewarding your life and how to steward your life. Five things that we must learn to do to steward our lives. Go to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter number 13. In the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. We saw... The significance of our thought life. We saw the shaking of our thought lives. Let's, let's talk for a few minutes about the stewardship of our thought life. The stewarding of our thoughts. How do, how do we then steward our life? Because here, look, here's what you need to understand. You cannot remove doubt. You cannot remove uh, strain. You cannot remove stress. You cannot remove a lack of assurance. There will always be things to worry about. There will always be things we're not sure about. There will always be things that we're uncertain about. So how do you manage that? How do you deal with that? How do we steward our thought life? 1 Corinthians 13, are you there? Look at verse number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 11. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. Five steps for stewarding your thought life. Number one, you must realize that you must mature in your thought life. You must realize that you must mature in your thought life. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 11 says this, When I was a child, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. That's what he says. I thought. As a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. You know, I'm not preaching on this, but some of you guys need to memorize that verse and put away the Nintendo, all right? When I became a man, I put away childish things, all right? But, but notice he says, I thought as a child. And look, I'm, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but if you're middle-aged and you're still thinking the way you were thinking when you were 18 years old, that, that's, your, that's a problem. That's your problem, I'm still struggling and dealing with the same things today that I was dealing with 10 years ago and 20 years ago and 30 years ago. The problem is your mind. The problem is your thoughts. The problem is that if your thoughts don't mature, 
you will not mature. You must realize that you must mature in your thought life. You must come to your thought life like the Apostle Paul and say, you know what, I used to think a certain way. I used to uh, speak a certain way. I used to understand a certain way. I used to think a certain way, but I put those things away. You must realize that you must mature in your thought life. You've got to grow up. You've got to mature in the way that you think you're li- you, that, that you're, and, and it goes back to the illustration. See, when, 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 when I didn't have a son, and I'm not saying it was ever okay, but when I didn't have a son, and when I wasn't pastoring, maybe it was okay. You know, when I was in the military and dealing with things, maybe it was okay for me to walk around and say, I'm stressed out, and I'm stressed out, and I'm stressed out. But when you got a four-year-old watching you, you know, you got to mature a little bit. And when you got people following you and watching you for leadership, you have to mature a little bit. And you're, you have to quit thinking like you thought when you were a child and become a man and become a grown-up and become an adult and put away childish things. You must realize that you must mature in your thought life. Number two, you're there in 1 Corinthians 13. Go, go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, just one book over, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. How do we steward our thought lives? Well, number one, you have to realize, you have to realize that your thoughts are something that need to be stewarded. There's something that needs to be changed. There's something that needs to mature. You have to realize that I've been thinking a certain way and it's been resulting certain things in my life. And I have to grow. And I have to grow up. And I have to put away childish things. But number two, you must learn to control your thoughts. You must learn to control your thoughts. Second Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse 5. Notice what the Bible says. Casting down imaginations. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity, don't miss this, every thought to the obedience of Christ. See, the Bible says that we are to bring into captivity. We are to capture and take control of every thought. Don't let your mind wander. Take control of those thoughts. Don't let your mind run with things and run with thoughts and what if and what about that and what, you know, it's a sky fall. Hey, control those things. You need to take control of your thoughts. You need to come to the place. You need to come to the place where you learn to control your thoughts. You know, I, let, me, let me share something with you, and I don't think I've ever shared this publicly. Oftentimes we will... Look at things like anxiety and say, you know, oh, that's not real, that's not true. People are making that up. I, you know, I, I will confess to you, confessing your faults one to another, right? I will confess to you that there are probably two or three times in my life where I believe that I've experienced what the world would call an anxiety attack. And you say, Pastor, really? You know, and, and here's the thing. I, you know, I, I, I used to always think like, oh, that's a, you know, whatever, that's not real. I'll give you one example. You know, back when in 2016 when we... Uh, when they would not renew our, our, our lease at the old church building, and we were looking for a new church building. And if you remember that time, uh, there was no one that wanted to rent to us. And I'm not talking about, I, I don't know if some of you realize, and you can ask Brother Stuckey and, and Brother Oliver, and you can speak, talk to my wife. We, we were getting up every day, working 12 hours a day, calling everyone and everything and looking at every building and even buildings that would not work and just trying to think, could we make this work, you know? And, and, and looking at everything and everywhere we were just, no, no, no. And the problem wasn't, we, you know, the problem wasn't our church. I mean, we had a church filled with people. We had a bank account with money in it. It wasn't that we didn't have, it's just nobody wanted to touch us. You know, nobody wanted to rent to us. 
And as we were getting closer and closer, it just seemed like these things weren't going to happen. And this thing, and a lot of doubt, you know, is this going to work out? Is this going to? And I remember one, one night, I mean, just in the middle of the night, it must have been one in the morning or two in the morning. I, I woke up just from, from sleep. I woke up and I just could not breathe. And my, my wife said, are, are, you, are you okay? And I just kind of explained to her what, was, uh, what I was feeling. And, and, you know, my wife's a little doctor, so she gets on her phone and she starts uh, putting in all the, uh, the symptoms that I was explaining to her. And I remember she looked at me and she said, I think you're having an anxiety attack. And I thought, wow, good night. And she said, well, I mean, it makes sense, you know, with everything that's going on. And I just remember thinking to myself, well, you know, I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes there are things that happen in our lives that cause us to have doubt and to be a little afraid and to wonder, is God going to work this out? Is this going to work out? Is this, gonna, is this something that we're going to be able to overcome. And sometimes you just say, I don't know. I just don't know. But you know what you must learn? And what I had to learn is that we have to learn to control our thoughts. And when your mind begins to run in that direction and your mind begins to think, this is never going to work out and this is never going to happen and we might as well just give up and we might as well just close up shop and we might as well just go do something else, you've got to learn to capture those thoughts. You've got to learn to control those thoughts. And to say, you know what, we will do what we can do and we'll trust God for the rest. We will do what we can do. We will accomplish what we can accomplish. We will not give up. We will just do what God has, what we believe God has called us to do. And then we'll just leave it up to God. How do you steward your thoughts? Number one, you must realize that you must mature in your thought life. And number two, you must learn to control your thoughts. Because look, when your thoughts get out of control they begin to have an effect on your body. They begin to have uh, uh, produce uh, results in your body. Number three, go, go to Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four. You're there in Second Corinthians. You're going to go past Galatians, Ephesians, into the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four. Number three, how do we steward our thoughts? How do we steward our thought life? Number one, you must realize that you have to mature in your thoughts. You have to mature in your thought line. You know, something that I realize is that if I, you know, as the church has grown and as there has been different stages of ministry and as we've dealt with different things, I've had to learn that my ability to deal with my own thoughts is going to have to grow. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at the story of the, uh, uh, of the, uh, the parable of the talents and how they had to steward those talents. And something I often think about is that God, in that story, the Bible is teaching us that certain people receive certain talents based on their several abilities. And sometimes, look, we all get there. Sometimes we all get to the place where I just, you think to yourself, I don't, I, just, I don't think I can do this anymore. I don't think that I can do this. Lord, I don't think I can handle it anymore. And something I learned to pray is, Lord, help me to grow in my ability. Help me to grow in my ability. And you know, as your life changes, and as your family changes, and as your circumstances change, and they get harder, and they get stronger, you need to come to the place where you say, you know what, I'm not going to let my thoughts just run. I'm going to ask God to help me to learn to control these thoughts and to grow in my ability. Number three, you must choose to think on right things. Philippians chapter 4. We often read this verse and, and, and these verses and we think, oh, these are just nice verses. You put them on the back of a Hallmark card or something. But, you know, this is the word of God. 
And in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7, the Apostle Paul, and I want you to understand, the book of Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul. And you need to understand the context of, of the book of Philippians. Philippians is a book that the Apostle Paul wrote while incarcerated, while in prison, while he has lost his liberty and lost his freedom. And where you and I would be sitting in prison and probably mad at God and saying, God, you know, you, you, you let me down and you didn't help me and you let, them, you let this happen to me. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Philippi, and if you know anything about the church of Philippians, the theme of the, church of, of the book of Philippians is this, rejoice in the Lord. And he's writing to these people while in prison and encouraging them to rejoice and encouraging them to not be discouraged. And encouraging them that I can do all things through Christ and, and, and that we should trust God and that, and that God can work through us. And you say, Paul, how did you do it? How did you stay in prison and not get discouraged and not get depressed and not get upset and not get bitter and backslidden? Paul, how did you do it? Philippians 4, 7, he says this, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Paul, I just don't get it. I don't understand it. How do you get put in prison in the book of Acts and you're singing praises and hymns to God? And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep, notice what he says, your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Look at verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are, notice what he says, true. Whatsoever things are honest. Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be no virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. And you say, see, here's what you need to understand. We choose. And I'm not, trying, I'm not blaming you. We, myself included, often choose to focus our attention on everything that's bad. You ever get around people like that? Man, I can't stand it. You get around people and they're just negative about everything. Everything's negative. Everything's bad. Nothing's good. Nothing's ever good. Everything's always bad. I, can't, I, I, can't, I literally can't stand being around When I get around people and the first thing that comes out of my mouth is just how bad everything is, I'm just like, I need to get out of here. You say, well, Pastor, aren't you, you know, here's the thing. I, just, I don't want to be infected by that because my thoughts affect me. My mindset affects me. I, 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 you know, and here's what you need to understand. There's always something good. There's always something pure. There's always something just. There's always something lovely. There's always a good report. There's always something good to focus on. Amen. There's always something else you can put your attention on. You know, and, and, and when things are going bad, and you know, we talked about that time when we just didn't know. We just didn't know. What were we going to do? I was literally considering, and at the time our church was running, I don't know, somewhere 120 to 140 people. I was literally thinking to myself, what if we have to go back to the house? You know, because we started church in the house. And when we started church in the house, we started with like five people, you know. And, and, and we grew till about 40 in the house before we went and rented a building. So I thought to myself, well, we, if we fit 40 people, if we had four Sunday morning services... You know, maybe we could have some sort of rotation, you know, and I could get up and preach four times on Sunday morning, and then I guess four times on Sunday night, and four times on Wednesday night, or have two services on Wednesday and you start thinking that way, you know, and you're like, well, you know, Pastor, that's silly. We're well, just thinking, it's better than thinking we're going to shut down. 
What I'm telling you is there's always something to focus on. There's always something good to consider. There's always something true and honest and just and pure and lovely to consider. You know what I've noticed? There's always a good report. There's always something. Sometimes people, you know, churches, attendance go up and attendance go down. It's how church life is. It fluctuates and sometimes things are going wrong. But you know what I've noticed? There's always something good to, to focus on. Say, Pastor, the attendance was high. You know, praise the Lord. Pastor, the attendance was was low. Well, the offerings were good. Pastor, the offerings were low. We had 70 people watching on live stream. Pastor, nobody was watching on live stream. We had 70 somewhere. You know, there's always something to encourage yourself with. It just depends. Where do you want to put the focus? What do you want to think about? You say, yeah, but it's hard for me to not think about the things that caused my heart to tremble. That's why you must learn to control your thoughts. And that's why you must choose to think on right things. Do not focus. Focus your thoughts on things that are good and don't focus your thoughts on things that are evil. Go, go, to, go to Psalms, the book of Psalms 48. Again, if you open your Bible, just right in the center, you're more than likely to fall in the book of Psalms. Psalm 48. Psalm 48. Psalm 48. Look, I'm not, I'm not, I, I'm telling you, these things are real. We deal with these things. And maybe you hear this morning, you said, I've never been stressed out. I've, I've never been afraid of anything. I've never doubted anything. I've never felt anxious about anything. You know, you must not be living. Or you must be 10. Because you know what? Eventually, life will get hard. Eventually, there'll be things to worry about. And eventually there'll be things that you're concerned about. And eventually there'll be things that you're just not sure about. You say, well, Pastor, that's not very godly. Look, it happened to Elijah, which I don't think anybody here would say they're a greater Christian than Elijah. If Elijah could call down fire from heaven, and just a few pages later be saying, Lord, just kill me now. If it can happen to him, it can happen to you. And it can happen to me. And we deal with these things. And we have to learn See, Elijah, Elijah in that story was focused on one woman, Jezebel, who threatened him. He could have thought about the great victory he just had. He could have thought about the fire that came down. He could have thought about the 400 false prophets that had been slain. But he focused on Jezebel and her words, and he focused on that, he focused on that. Listen to me, some of you are bitter in life because someone did you wrong, and I'm not here to tell you that that was fine or that was right or that it wasn't, but you've just chosen to focus on that. Just don't forget about it. And years go by and decades go by, and that person doesn't even remember the words that they said to you, that person's not even around anymore, and you're just still dealing with that bitterness. Why? Because your thoughts eventually produce fruit in your life. And you've got to decide, am I going to choose to capture those thoughts? And I'm going to, am I going to choose to focus my attention on the things that were right, even though there are other things that I just cannot control? Even though there are other things that I'm just not sure about. Psalm 48 and verse 9, the Bible says this, We have thought, notice what he says, We have thought of thy loving kindness, O God in the midst of thy temple. You know, as believers, we can always think of the loving kindness of God. As believers, no matter what happens in life, no matter what happens in life, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how uncertain things look, we can always think of the fact that, you know what? God 
has forgiven me of my sins and given me eternal life. And no matter how bad this world gets, if they kill me, if they put me in prison, if they persecute us, if, they, if whatever they do, no matter how bad this world gets, I'm just going to go to heaven. He says, we have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy temple. Go to Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24, verse 9. Here's what you need to understand. You need to not focus on evil things. You need to not focus on sinful things. You need to not allow your mind to wander onto things that are not right. Proverbs 24 and verse 9. Proverbs 24 and verse 9 says this. The thought of foolishness is sin. Oh, it's only sin when I do it. No, just thinking about it is a sin. And we're not talking about temptation here. Obviously, people get tempted. The Lord Jesus Christ himself was tempted, yet without sin. But when you allow the temptation to draw you away, to entice you in your own lust, when you allow that temptation and now you begin to think about it, and you begin to think about, you know, maybe I could go there, and maybe I could do that, and maybe I could return that call, and maybe I could, you know, go on that trip, or maybe I could, and I think I might be able to get away with it. When you start thinking down that road, the Bible says the thought of foolishness is sin. Look, every, every sin begins with a thought. Will you allow yourself to entertain that thought? Think about David. Remember David? Walking on the roof, sees a woman bathing. He could have just captured his thoughts and said, this is not what I should be thinking about. I need to go, you know, uh, uh, back home. I need to go, you know, get, get out of this situation. But what? He, he saw it. He began to think about it. He began to ponder on it and eventually resulted in adultery. Job, Job said this, he said, I made a covenant with mine eyes, why then should I think upon a maid? And look, whether it's pornography, whether it's adultery, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whatever that besetting sin is, it always begins with a thought. And you have to learn to capture your thoughts. And you have to learn to not focus on that which is evil and that which is wrong. And think on those things that are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of a good report and of virtue and of praise. Paul said, think on these things. Number four. You're there in, in Proverbs 24. Can you go back to Psalm, Psalm 94 and verse 11? Psalm 94 and verse 11. Number four. We're talking about how to steward our thoughts. How to steward our thought life. We said number one, you must realize that you must mature in your thought life. And number two, you must learn to control your thoughts. And number three, you must choose to think on right things. And number four, you must allow God. You must allow God. And this happens for us as New Testament believers through His Word. You must allow God to reveal your thoughts. See, one person you can't hide your thoughts from, you know who it is? God. Psalm 94, verse 11, the Bible says this, The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man, that they are vanity. The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man. Go to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Notice what the Bible says. Psalm 139, verse 1. Psalm 139, and verse 1, the Bible says this, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, O Lord, Notice what he says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. He said, you know my thoughts when, when, before I know my thoughts. Look at verse 23, same chapter. Psalm 139 and verse 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. 
Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, whether it's through your own personal Bible reading, your own reading of the Word of God, or whether it's maybe through the preaching of the Word of God in a church setting or preaching you listen to, you know, on non-church days, on the internet or whatever, we must allow God, we must allow God to discern our thoughts. You know, the Bible says, for the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the hearts. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And you must allow the word of God. You must not, when sermons like this are preached, or when you read the word of God, or when you're listening to preaching, and the word of God kind of, like a sword, just slices right through. And God discerns your thoughts and your intents. You have to allow him to do that. You have to walk with him to do that. You have to do like the psalmist said here, search me, O Lord, and know my thoughts. Try me and know my way and see if there be any wicked way in me. You have to allow God, you have to allow God through his word to discern the thoughts and intents of your heart. Number five, number five. You're there in Psalm 139. Go to Proverbs 16. We're almost done. We're going to look at Three verses, Proverbs 16, Isaiah 66, Isaiah 26 will be done this morning. Proverbs 16, number five. You must do right. You must do right works. You must do right works whether you feel like it or not. You must do right works whether you feel like it or not, and right thoughts will follow. Are you there in Proverbs 16? Look at verse 3. Notice what the Bible says. Commit thy work unto the Lord. Commit thy work unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. That goes counterintuitive to what most of us think. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. That goes against modern psychology and psychiatry. Because you know what the world teaches us today? They say, if your thoughts are are right, then your works will follow. So here's what they say. They say, oh, you're depressed? Let's put you on this medication. It'll make you feel better, and then you'll be better. They say, if your thoughts are wrong, your works will follow. Here's what people think. People think, oh, man, I'm depressed, or oh, man, I'm suffering of anxiety, or oh, man, I'm dealing with this issue and that issue, and because of that, I'm unemployed, and because of that, my marriage is falling apart, and because of that, I'm not raising my children right, and because of that, I'm not doing well financially. And here's what you need to understand. And they'll say, if I just take these happy pills, or if I just take these pills that'll make me feel better, then, then my marriage will be better, and my finances will be better. And here's what you need to understand. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not say that because your thoughts are wrong, your works are wrong. Listen to me. You're you're not going into bankruptcy because you're depressed. You're depressed because you're going into bankruptcy. Your, Your marriage is not ending in divorce because you're depressed. You're depressed because your marriage is ending in divorce. You're not failing with your children because you're depressed. You're depressed because you're failing with your children. God says, God says, commit thy works unto the Lord. 
and thy thoughts shall be established. See, the world says that your works follow your thoughts, but the Bible says that your thoughts follow your works. See, when you begin to do right, when you begin the hard work of budgeting and getting out of debt, when you begin the hard work of, of getting financial structure, you begin the hard work of changing things around in your family, and you begin working on your marriage, which is difficult. You begin working, you say, man, I've just been failing as a parent, and I'm going to get control over the situation, and I'm going to discipline my children, and disciple my children, and develop a relationship with my children, and you begin to do that work, your thoughts will be established. The hard thing is that we don't do those work because we don't feel like it. Well, I don't feel like I don't feel like I'm succeeding. Look, you must do the right works, whether you feel like it or not, and your thoughts will follow. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Go to Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66, you're there in Proverbs. You can go past Ecclesiastes, past the Song of Solomon, into the book of Isaiah. You're there in Proverbs, past Ecclesiastes, past the Song of Solomon, into Isaiah. Isaiah 66. We're almost done. We're going to look at Isaiah 66. We're going to look at Isaiah 26. We'll be done. Isaiah 66, Isaiah 26. Isaiah 66, verse 18. Isaiah 66, 18. Notice what the Bible says. For I know their works. Notice what he says. Isaiah 66, 18. For I know their works and their thoughts. It's interesting how it's always in that order. It's not their thoughts and their works. I know their works and their thoughts. It shall come that I will gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. So I thought you said my thoughts produced in my life. Yes, they do. But listen to me. If you start doing right, you say, well, I don't feel like doing right. If you start doing right, you'll begin to think right. And when you begin to think right, you'll do even more right. And it's this self-fulfilling prophecy that we live when we allow ourselves to have our thoughts run without control. We talked about the significance of our thought life. It will bear fruit in your life. We talked about how our thoughts are often shaken and our mind becomes sorrowful and our heart trembles because of doubt and fear, lack of security, lack of assurance. And we looked at five steps to steward your thoughts. Five steps. You must realize that you have to mature with your thoughts and you must learn to control your thoughts and you must choose after you control your thoughts to choose to think on right things and you must allow God and His Word to reveal your thoughts and you must do right even if you don't feel like it and right thoughts will follow. But let me just say this as we conclude. Isaiah 26 and verse 3. Can you get there? Isaiah 26 and verse 3. So why? Why do all this? Why steward our thoughts? Why work at it? Because look, it's hard. It'll be hard for you if you've never done it. If you're the type of person that lets your emotions just run out of control and you don't control your emotions and your thoughts, it will be difficult. Say, why do it? Well, here's the thing. We have to do it because we must learn to keep our minds on the things of God. Isaiah 26 verse 3, notice what he says. That will keep him in perfect peace. When your mind is filled with sorrow and your heart is trembling, you know what you lack? Peace. Remember Paul said, the peace that passeth all understanding. Thou will keep him in perfect peace. Who? Who will you keep in perfect peace? Whose mind is stayed on thee. When we learn to keep our mind stayed on God and on the things of God and we trust God, He keeps us in perfect peace. You say, well, how do we do that? How do we do that when there's doubt and there's fear and there's lack of assurance? Well, notice what he says at the end of the verse. 
Now will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Notice what he says. Because he trusteth in thee. Say, how do I get the peace? By being stayed, by having your mind stayed on God. How do I keep my mind stayed on God? When you learn to trust in him. See, you'll never get rid of the insecurity. There will, be, there will always be something. Please listen to me. There will always be something to worry about, to be concerned about, to have fear about and doubt about, to be anxious about, to be sad about. There will always be something. So how do I deal with it? You learn to trust in the Lord. You learn to just say, you know what, God? I, I, I don't know what you're doing, and I don't know what you're trying to accomplish, and I, 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 I can't see your hand but I know you're there. But I trust and believe that you are doing something in my life. And I'm just going to trust you with it. And you know, when you do that, a peace that passeth all understanding will come upon you. And people will say, how are you dealing with this? And how are you dealing with that? And there's so much pressure there, and I don't understand. And you'll say, well, just trusting in God. Just trusting in God. Inspire heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would use the sermon, the scriptures, the thoughts today. Lord, because if I know anything as a pastor, here's what I know. There are many of us at any given time that are dealing with doubts and fears. We're concerned, we're afraid, we're dismayed. We feel hopeless. There's so many. There's so many of us that are just constantly dealing with these things. And it may be a marriage. It may be our relationship with a, ch- with a child. Maybe our financial security. Maybe even our health. There's things that we just worry about. And things that we're just concerned about. And we will never get those to go away on this side of heaven, but Lord, I pray you'd help us to learn to steward our thoughts properly. And Lord, I I pray for myself. I pray for myself as a Christian, as a husband, as a father, as the pastor of this church, Lord, that you would help me. Because I know there's always things to be concerned about, always pressures, always things to worry about. Lord, I pray you'd help me. I pray you'd help my wife, Lord, to grow in our several abilities to steward our thoughts for the glory of God. And Lord, I pray you'd help us have a church. And we know we're going to fail from time to time, but help us have a church that is trying and attempting to steward our thoughts for your glory. In the name of Christ.